Brought to you by Gala Technology, welcome to the Digital Payment Challenges and Solutions podcast. Our mission is to help businesses of all types and size to make sense of the fast-moving, sometimes complex, and ever-evolving world of digital payments. And now, over to the host of our podcast, David Lilly. Welcome to the very first Digital Payments Challenges and Solutions podcast, where in the months ahead, we'll be bringing you the stories and the people behind the emerging payment technologies. The stuff that is dramatically changing the way customers pay for products and services, both in the physical world and online. On today's show, I'm pleased to announce that my special guest is a guy called Jason Mace. Now, Jason is an entrepreneur from the UK events industry, and he's someone who's pioneered a new payment system with an initial investment of just £2,000. His product, which is called SOTPAY, S-O-T-P-A-Y, has since won multiple awards for innovation and eradicating the challenge of fraud-related chargebacks. Now, before we get into Jason's story, let's spend a few moments looking at the subjects that our podcast will cover in the weeks and the months ahead. Now, we all know the world of payments has changed dramatically. Over the last 40 years, we all became accustomed to using a plastic payment card. But in the last five to six years, the use of smart payments via phones and watches has accelerated dramatically to become part of everyday life. In the card member present space, the likes of Google Pay and Apple Pay have taken strong market share, as customers just love the convenience of simply hovering their smartphone, which of course is a device that we people never leave at home, over a payment terminal. In fact, according to a report from UK Finance in the year 2021, almost one-third of all payments in the UK were contactless. In the card member not present world, we're also seeing changes. SCA, Strong Customer Authentication, has been mandated in an attempt to try and reduce fraud. With open banking payment solutions on the increase, they're also promising lower fraud and a better customer experience. From a security perspective, recent figures from Nationwide Building Society have shown that SCA has indeed had a positive effect on reducing fraud. In fact, since its introduction, Nationwide says that SCA has helped stop 2,000 cases of online card fraud on a monthly basis. On future episodes of Digital Payments, Challenges and Solutions, we'll drill more into the impact of SCA and other market solutions on the fraud issue. For many businesses, the world of digital payments has become fast-moving, complex, and frankly, a bit of a confusing jungle. There are multiple card payment providers all pushing their services. They're all looking for a point of differentiation to benefit the businesses they serve. On this and future editions of our podcast, we'll attempt to unravel some of the complexity and break down the subject so you can gain an accurate perspective on what services are out there and how they might benefit your business. So let's get on to our first podcast guest. As I mentioned at the top of the show, here's a man who has a remarkable story to tell. In operating his business, he found himself losing money to fraudulent card member not present transactions and the associated chargebacks. As you're about to hear from the man himself, some of these were high-value transactions. Jason decided he needed to address this challenge. And so leading the way in front of much bigger payment industry operators, Jason and his team developed their own digital payment software to tackle the issue of fraud-related chargebacks. And that's the story that you're going to hear more about today. 
Jason Mace, Managing Director of Gala Tents and Gala Technology and inventor of the SotPay product, welcome to our podcast. Thank you very much for having us. Now then, before we get into your digital payment story, give us the backstory surrounding your original and still existing company, Gala Tents, and how this business, SotPay, Gala Technology, came about. Well, uh, Gala Tent was born... Uh, out of frustration in the in 1999 regarding not being able to actually hire a marquee. So in the uh, in 1999, the run up to the Millennium celebrations, there was a, a lot of hype, as you know, about employment, the Millennium bug. You know, are, are people going to actually work on Millennium, or or event venues going to have staff uh, for those particular occasions? And if people are going to be employed, they're going to be wanting, you know, crazy money. So uh, because of the hype running up to the millennium, people were talking about this, you know, 30 years prior to the to the event, what you're going to actually be, be doing on in the year 2000. And, you know, everybody wanted this glamorous kind of uh, celebration, celebration night. So what I was running uh, the events in a family business, which was a, a working men's club in, uh, in Barnsley at the time, in Hemingfield, Barnsley. And I was, uh, in 1999, got the yellow pages out like everybody did if they wanted some services. And I rung every uh, marquee hire company to see whether they'd got anything for hire. And before I could actually say what it was for, they replied to me, is it for the Millennium? So they was inundated with calls for the Millennium celebrations for people either extending the homes or businesses extending for the, uh, for the, for the ticketing venues. And everywhere was booked up, and it was the same story throughout. You know, every <clears throat> every supplier in the yellow pages. So once I'd exhausted that, I was you know, we've uh, there's got to be an opportunity here. So what uh, you're saying, supply. Jason, is that venues are <clears throat> thinking we need more space than we've got. We need to create space outside using tents, marquees, etc. You spotted that. You started investigating, and literally everyone was sold out. Exactly. So, so there must have been there must be an opportunity here for somebody to to sell marquees. I mean, it wasn't done. I don't believe prior to that anything affordable. Mm. So I managed to from an importer source say a product that was actually in the UK, luckily enough, and it was a, uh, a three by six meter uh, marquee. Um, it was slightly higher grade. It wasn't a great product, um, but it was slightly higher grade than the. Than, than anything you could buy in a garden centre at the time, and it was perfect for extending uh, the patio. You know, twenty you've got an extra twenty foot by ten foot space to have all the mess in and your guests in and uh, extending the home. So this is what I went to market with, and I called it a Millennium Marquee, an audit, auditorium Millennium Marquee, and I went to market with that particular product. And the investment initially was two thousand pound. And I put that on a credit card, and everybody's saying, you know, you're a bit, what, who's, who's going to actually buy a marquee? Nobody buys a marquee, and everybody thought I was crazy setting up this marquee business, you know, who, who sets up a marquee business? So, but I was convinced that I was going to uh, sell these marquees, and everybody wanted one, just based on my little bit of market research. Uh, so, at the time, prior to that, I was actually selling larders, right? <laughs> <laughs> And, uh, Not much of a difference between selling a marquee <laughs> and a larder, is it? So the kind of route to market with, with that was I was shipping them to places like Lithuania and I got a, uh, 
with my dad having a, the the working men's club. It had a very large car park, about you know half an acre, and, I, and I'd park them on there, which he wasn't too happy about at the well, time. I can imagine. And then I had uh, these um, car carriers coming in every week collecting them. Now the the this is quite interesting. So the the story that behind that the business plan was in the UK you can buy a car really doesn't have a lot of value if it's got no tax and test on it. But if you back then if you shipped it away it had the same value. So I could make between fifty pound and two hundred and fifty pound a car on on buying these loaders and shipping them away. And if I was shipping a lot away, I, I made quite a bit of money, and I was dropping leaflets in at uh, you know garages where they're doing tradings and uh, you know and I get calls every week. Right, we've got a loader, come and get it, you know, <laughs> and I give them a, had a price list for them so they knew what to to trade it in at to then sell it onto me. So it, it it was a good little business until obviously the loaders started drying up. So there are only so many. So uh, we're all looking for a different kind of product Product uh, anyway. But during that journey, I used to advertise a lot in the free ad papers, you know, the free uh, the free ads, the yellows, and the things that the ad mags that were about at the time had quite a lot of success. So Message being, I'll buy your larder from you. <laughs> larder's bought for cash, yeah. So that was it. You know, no MOT, no tax, no MOT. They were great. Uh, so I did I run the same kind of concept uh, with the... Uh, with the marquee and I put completely free because I'd spent all my money on on the stock. That's why they call them free ads, of course, because it's free advertisement. So I just made it less trade. So I put, like, I just got one. So I'd put in, you know, marquee for sale, 20 foot by 10 foot, ideal for millennium celebrations. And you could ring those in at the time and they'd list them for free and put your phone number on. Mm. And that was it. So the run-up to the to the millennium then, I uh, I must have sold a good few thousand. Wow. Yeah, yeah. So I was within within literally a few months. I was I was a main importer of uh, tents from from China. <laughs> so that, that that was it. That was the that was the story. And then we, I was getting requests for for flooring, heating, lighting, bigger sizes. And then then I started getting my crayons out and designing marquees based on customer feedback and the market how it changed, and then developing patents. To eventually then developing the brand Gala Tent, mm. um, making everything really good quality, then in the finish and refining it and the business model, then bespoke systems, website, first website in kind of 2000, one, one of the first e commerce, I believe, at the time. And if we wind forward now, <clears throat> Jason, Gala Tents literally has virtually every type of tent or marquee that someone would want in in business so you've got various sizes and you mentioned you've got flooring now you've got mm-hmm. i believe you've got lighting as well you can brand the actual marquee so there's everything that anybody might want from a marquee you guys can provide yeah so the printing and branding uh, we do we, we designed a uh, pop-up gazebo as well in 2006 and that was from my own personal journey around market stalls where you know they'd look like a refugee camp a lot of these markets that you went to and the particular one they went to was Thorsby market and it was a really uh, awful day raining and I'm looking around and I'm like god this could look so much better mm-hmm. so from that I took a lot of photos on my journey around and we came back and, and I designed a uh, what we'll call a pro 50 now a pro 50 uh, pop-up gazebo which was commercial quality that you could have printing um, and I run that side of the pictures of a of what I saw on that day. The which, traditional market store, <laughs> yeah, where, where the wind comes along and wipes it out. Well, <laughs> they, they, they they use the box section box section framework, steel frameworks, and then they put a, a, I call it a Blackpool rock 
fly sheet over it, and then they have these massive bulldog clips on it, and you know they never it look looks pretty. Awful, yeah. They never look really pretty, and they get dirty and dragged in the muck, and they looked awful. So my marketing plan was, you know, you have a nice commercial gazebo with if you sell potatoes, you know, baked potatoes on it, you know, and that's going to convert more traffic to uh, to come to your stall and you, it's going to look nice and more presentable where people mm. are more brand conscious and buying to brands and if you and if your stall looks nice then your product must be nice so it was it was that kind of um, idea that I had for promoting market stalls and that and it worked really well it t- took years to to position it but eventually we ended up even supplying the electric avenue in in London so if you if you walk down London on probably the most famous street in the UK, maybe the world, Electric Avenue, as we know, it was the first street to have electric on it. That's why they mm. call it Electric Avenue. But there, you walk down there, and it's all gala tents, vibrant colours, brilliant. And I guess one of the key messages now, Jace, for gala <laughs> tents is, and I like the term, you create more space. So essentially, that's what gala tents allows businesses to do: create more space or create shelter. Yeah. Multiple reasons why people would want to buy a marquee, but ultimately you can allow a pub to create more space, more covers outside. Mm-hmm. You could let parents watching a football match in the winter sit in the, out of the rain. You know, there's multiple reasons why businesses could buy a, a tent or a marquee from you, isn't there? Yeah, well, that was the original concept. It was to extend the outdoor space. So mm-hmm. they are, they, with the 3B6 marquee, which was the original gala tent, you could extend your patio for a party. Brilliant. Great story. So... Gala tents creates more space. Let's move on to gala technology. I mean, this is yet another example of you spotting an opportunity based on a problem. It's interesting. If you look at the millennium and the, the shortage of marquees, you spotted that opportunity and you went in, you fixed it, and look at gala tent now. You know, one of the leading, yeah. if not the leading provider of marquees in, in the United Kingdom. Yeah. But in that process, Jason, you, like all businesses do, encountered some challenges, which resulted in you creating Gala Technology and a product called SotPay. Give us the background to how that came about. So throughout the journey of Gala Tent, it was, um, as, we were, as we spread out nationally, we started accepting digital payments like card transactions, online payments, and a, a, a constant battle is fraud. So how do you identify the customer on the other end of the phone? Um, it's got better over the years, but it still, it still happens on a daily basis now. But back in the day, it was really you were really exposed. So, you know, you really wanted the sale. And it's never 20 quid when somebody's frauding you. It's always a, a couple of grand. So that was a constant, a, a constant worry, a constant battle. And you're constantly uh, receiving chargebacks from the bank every month um, because you do employ salespeople as you grow as, as a business and you're relying on them to do be diligent on the phone. But they'll have the salesperson will have targets, and they'll want to want the sale to go through as much as you do to hit the sales targets. The checks to do over the telephone are quite limited, if any. And it came to a head in 2012 when we had a kind of a nine thousand pound chargeback, which a salesperson took on the shop floor, and we had to put in systems that we could. So. Jason, I'm, got, before you go any further, I'm <clears throat> conscious that some people listening to this, or most of our audience will know what a chargeback means, <laughs> but there might be a small minority of listeners that are in business, but they're not 100% clear on the definition of a chargeback. So what does that mean? What did that mean to you? What did this £9,000 chargeback mean? What impact did it have on your business? Well, a chargeback is, is, is when the genuine cardholder hasn't authorised the transaction. 
So somebody will, will have a stolen credit card, whether they've they acquired it on the dark web or whatever means, you know, these, these people are active on the internet. And they're looking for companies and it's a numbers game. They'll ring everybody up trying to place an order. Once one gets through, then get ready because there's more coming. You know, then you get attacked and then you end up on a sucker list. So for you, essentially, that £9,000 was lost. You'd shipped out the product and the nine grand that you'd taken was clawed back by, by the acquirer. Yeah, so you lose the goods... You lose the money out of the bank because you've got this charge by a letter informing you from the bank that you've lost the £9,000 that's come out. And then the chargeback letter, they actually charge you £25 for that. <laughs> <laughs> so rubbing salt in the wound. So you've lost the goods, you lost the money out of the bank, and then here's a letter from the bank, 25 quid. And then you'll respond to that letter and you'll say, oh, bloody hell, no, they're, they're, uh, they have bought it. Here's an invoice and this is the transaction date. And then the bank will write you back and say, well, I'm really sorry, but the genuine cardholder hasn't, hasn't agreed with this. Mm. So that's another 25 quid, so that's 100 quid. And then if you write back again, it's another 25 quid. If you write back again, it's another 25 quid until you've had four letters and then bank will say, oh, is that enough? And then they'll not charge you for any previous letters. So you any more letters, but you've got £100 on top of your loss. There. Yeah, painful, so, to say the least. So, so that happened, and, and what was the result? What did you decide to try and do about <clears> it? The systems available is obviously the internet, so we was asking... The customer for you know a landline to ring them back because that that can be a way of verifying somebody's identity. Though if they're in a commercial property, that's not hundred percent. We'd ask for ID, so we'd ask for a driver's license or a passport from the customer for high ticket items and especially third third party delivery address. But you can imagine the customer journey if you're a genuine customer. So how do you you know decide or investigate who's genuine and who isn't when it's customer not present this was the big hurdle so you got you were upsetting genuine customers or you were obviously catching out the fraudsters um but even the fraudsters then had some id waiting for you and they can back that up usually you know we've seen that so this became a major problem and it became a staffing problem because uh, in as busy season peak season i'd have four people in a four individuals in in my boardroom uh, checking ids so that became a major delay when we're offering a next-day delivery service. That kind of suffered. It's significant extra cost. Extra labour costs. Yeah. In, in And then once they'd done all their investigations, you know, with the ID, looking on Google Maps, you know, look, checking the address, make sure it's not an empty unit or a pub or block of flats, something like that, usual, which were usually found. Then they'd have to be taken to the IT manager to be signed off. So his time were taken up dealing with these. So development suffered. It's just a, a complete meh. You know, it was, a, it was just awful. So in the finish, I got uh, my IT manager in and I said, Steve, well, we've got a really good relationship. I says, look, Steve, I've been remortgaging my house for the last 15 years now just to pay your wages. Uh, you need to co- we need to come up with a, a solution to this, to this ID verification. Uh, and he was saying, well, I really don't know how, how we're going to deal with that, Jason, because the... What, well, a lot of people don't know this, but the banks will sell you a, even an online gateway and they will say, take customer not present transactions securely. Well, it's secure. If you read the small print, you, as the merchant, are responsible to verify the customer's ID when they're not present in the small print, right? Mm. So I, I went to the issuing, uh, to the issuers regarding that and, and says, well, how do I do that? And they went, well, we don't know. It's up to you to do it. We, there's not a solution on the market, and at the time, there's there's solu- there is solutions 
for non-compli for for PCI compliance, which means data entering the environment. So there's there's sort of DTMF, where it's like a suppression software where people can use a telephone keypad, and there's mm. IVR, which is a similar, but that doesn't stop fraud. Mm. So you still get. If, if you've got a, a dodgy credit card, you can still use DTMF and you can still use IVR, right? And there were technologies available, however, quite expensive for a small to medium-sized company to implement, you know, thousands. Mm. So what do you do? <laughs> what do you do? So we looked at a few solutions and uh, how we could solve this internally with the zone IT and the zone systems, because luckily we did have a bespoke system that we developed where we could, we could bolt something on. So Steve, in a few weeks, he come back, he says, I've been test driving this theory. And I says, well, what do you call it? And he says, uh, secure order transfer. I says, well, let's have a look. Anyway, what we did was we spun the, the online terminal and made it customer-facing so that they could uh, tap in the, at their side. They could put in the credit card details. Through the computer or the mobile phone. Or for a mobile phone. Mm. Uh, and they could put the uh, banking password in. So... Nobody over the telephone is going to give the banking banking password. That's the key to the security. Because the issue in bank always says is, you, the cardholder, are responsible for your banking password. If that's compromised, you, the cardholder, are responsible, which, take, which negates any responsibility from the merchant, the shopkeeper. Mm-hmm. So he's safe. As long as somebody's paying and they put that code in, like a chip and pin... Mm-hmm. Then the shopkeeper's uh, he's covered by the issuing bank. He's not going to lose his money and he's not going to get a charge back. Letter. So we test drove we test drove this theory, and it worked. Didn't stop fraudsters ringing us in, but the, once the fraudsters hit that code, they ran away and didn't ring us back. So we'd save corporate time. Overnight, my boardroom was clear. Everybody went back to work doing product, you know, be more productive in the company. And we'd solve the problem, I'm like... So what was happening with the fraudsters, the ones that were <laughs> ringing in, Jason, when they realised you'd created this innovative solution to stop what they were doing, they'd literally mm-hmm. hang up, would they? That's it, gone. I'll call you back. Yeah. That's it, I never did, which is great. <laughs> so you've got genuine customers coming yeah. in. And it, it didn't stop them, let's say. It didn't stop fraudsters ringing up, trying to place an order, but there was a wall. We put a wall up. So just for clarity, from the point you implemented this SOP pay technology secure order transfer, you've not had a fraud-related chargeback since? We've not had a, a fraud-related chargeback since 2012. Quite a story, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, because that's when the, we test drove the, uh, uh, the technology. And it took a bit of time to perfect it in-house, um, but then we made it more kind of robust and we made it where you could send a pay-by-link uh, out. We made it so you could do it on social media so you can do, you can take a payment on Facebook with the technology. So all these platforms, as they got more and more popular, chat, uh, which is which is sixty percent, I think now of first contact, uh, an email. So we cannot. Uh, you chat to somebody on, well, chat, and they want to make a payment. You can just give them a link, Bosch. So uh, as it evolved, and then we entered a um, the awards in twenty fourteen for the product once we'd got. Good proof of concept for it. When you say awards, Jason, which awards did you enter? That was the uh, UK IT awards in London. It was like the Oscar for IT, uh, Oscar for the IT industry. And we entered the Security Innovation uh, Award. Just a punt, really. Mm. So, and um, we I remember it was only, only bought a couple of tickets. 
Park Lane so, Hotel, no doubt, was it? The Grosner House it Hotel. It was uh, an expensive hotel and an expensive dinner. So we just bought a couple. Of, we got nominated. I pitched in front of the judges and they liked it. And I thought, oh, we've got a good chance. And we got shortlisted. And I thought, well, I've got to go down. But well, there's some big players in, in the room. So, yeah. you know, you've got Microsoft in the room. You've got BT, you know, some really heavyweight IT companies. They're all there. There must have been a couple of thousand at least in, in the room. It's a huge, it was a huge award ceremony maybe three thousand we sat at the back usually usually when you sat at the back you haven't won an award yeah you, they've, they've, they've tactically <laughs> placed the award winners <clears> relatively <throat> close to the stage and you're so you're straight away thinking i'm up in the yeah. heavens i've not won anything but luckily i bought a couple of bottles of wine so that kept me busy so and then i had a little bit too and it came up came up to to the announcement because it was the fine one of the final awards if not the final award of the night because it was a big big award the security innovation yeah what's more important uh, and it and it and it comes out you know shortlisted you know gala tent uh, you know we sat right at the back and there was a look around gala tent oh they're an event company what are they doing here at, at the at the awards like and it's bt microsoft random storm there were some yeah. big big, yeah. big names there and the winner is gala tent and it fell off my bloody chair so through excitement or the amount of wine you'd consume. <laughs> Both. So I'm walking to the to the uh, up to the stage. Carla t- took me that I was sat that far away. It took me that long to to uh, to walk to the stage. When I finally get so then the other uh, uh, oh bloody hell, I forgot his name now. The uh, the compa uh, the compa rich rich somebody uh, funny American comedian who was there. You could see I were I had a bit too much to drink and I think I'm holding the trophy wrong way around. <laughs> They're trying to get a talk. picture, and you've got it back to full. There is a there is a uh, a video on YouTube of that. The UK IT Awards 2014. And uh, did you get the opportunity uh, to do a speech to this salubrious audience? I did a little bit of an interview after, but you can see I'm uh, I'm. <laughs> it, it could do editing, put it that way. <laughs> <laughs> you'll have to recreate. So, have to recreate it, you know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But that wasn't the only award, though, Jason. That, so that was the first. That award. That was the first award, and then from there, um, uh, I rung me uh, my partner on the way home from the for, uh, on the train from London the following day. We hang over. Uh, says, "Oh, we've won." And I says, "Oh, I expected you." Bringing me last night, like if we'd have won, and I was too too far out of it. Plus, I was in obviously it was a highlight of my career, so I was enjoying the moment. So, I rung him the next day, and uh, says we've won. You know, we really need to. We've solved a major issue here, and I spoke to a few security guys at, at the awards, and they said, "Wow, you know, that's a, an amazing award, an amazing achievement, an amazing product." And I says, "We've solved an industry problem here. We need to invest in making it into a into a product." So, because um, making it work on our systems was, was relatively straightforward, but to make a product that to other people to use, that's a major mm. development investment mm. kind of thing. So he says, "What's it gonna What's it gonna cost?" And I said, "Oh, well, I don't know, twenty grand." Anyway, three years later, we're three hundred and eighty grand of a of a budget, <laughs> we actually got a product. So we kind of went to market with with the product in uh, was it around twenty eighteen then. Uh, moving forward on that yeah and what's fascinating now Jason I mean it's remarkable (coughs) and I'm sure you won't mind me saying that a relatively small company Gala Tent in the Mm -hmm. big scheme of the companies that are out there had pioneered a product ahead of all the other banking payment specialists there's this issue that existed not one of them had found a way to overcome it but you had and you've since obviously captured 
the imagination of some of the biggest payment acquiring companies, payment technology companies, who now work with you, who now partner with you. Tell us a bit about that. Yeah, so we've got some big big players on board with us uh, who love the technology. It solves a major problem for the acquirers, you see, because it's risk. So especially nowadays, so when you apply for a merchant account, what they will do is you will go to risk. So they will ask questions, well, how many telephone transactions are you doing? That's the first one. If you were doing a high volume of telephone transactions where people are ringing in with a credit card, it's unlikely you will not get a merchant account now. That's it. Game over. Yeah, you're on what's known as a no-go list, aren't you? <clears throat> yeah. Depending on so, what, what category you're in, what industry yeah. you're in. Yeah. So if you're taking, if you take, if you're saying, well, I'll take, I'll take payments over the telephone, and they know that you're doing, they know that you're doing that, even your current existing bank. So you're not even safe now, even if you are taking payments over the telephone. Your merchant can switch you off at any time, mm. because that's called risk. So they'll do a risk. Uh, appraisal on you, let's say every twelve months, maybe maybe sooner now because mm. it, frauds that that frequent. So they can they can switch you off at any time if you were doing a lot or a high volume of telephone transactions. That's where people are ringing you up and reading the card data out over the telephone. And the reason for that is cause obviously because the fraud. It's a risk. So you do a big transaction, you know the the acquirer has got a good chance of losing that money as well because if you are in a position where you don't pay the acquirer. And he can't. He, you haven't got the money to be taken out of the bank if you get mm. hit. If you end up on a sucker list and then you get, you know, thirty or forty at a time, then the acquirer will lose out. So that's risk. Because they don't. They don't want that. So the banks hook up with us now to offer that as a solution. So if you're doing because the salespeople again going back to salespeople in, that are outselling the product, if they go and see a merchant and they say before it goes to risk, are you doing any? A lot of telephone transactions. Well, yes. Well, you need this bit of technology because this is approved by the bank, uh, by the banks, to take away the risk of fraud-related chargebacks. So, what type of technology payment partners, banks are you working with? Give us a few names of this. Yeah, so we've got uh, Elevon, which is a big one. WorldPay, uh, love our technology. Um, they're implementing it. Um, I believe um, there's discussions with uh, Lloyd's at the minute they're, they're looking at implementing so it they have a great testimony problem. that massive players like that trust mm-hmm. what you've created and, and actually are happy to work with you that's a big seal of approval as far as I'm concerned for the trust that they've got in the technology and how it yeah. complies with the various ru- payment industry rules that are out yeah. there well they don't come much bigger than WorldPay I don't no. believe well, they're the biggest in the world aren't they they're a partner yeah, yeah. So. they're a partner you touched on something Jason how you originally had the product and it worked in the gala tents environment and you invested 300 grand in the end, 300 grand plus to make it so it was distributable into other sectors with other merchants. Walk us through how easy it is for someone to actually utilise SotPay. How big a job is, is it for them to integrate it into their operations? Initially, that was the biggest hurdle for us mm. um, because how do you integrate into somebody's uh, systems? That became more innovation and further development. So we created APIs where you could you can zip into probably any CRM, providing the CRM is open to letting you zip into it, kind of thing, which is which they should be because it's a, a simple process. But the, but SOPA can also work as a standalone unit from a sole trader to a, a call center operation where you've got hundred plus people in. It will adapt. It's, it's that flexible, yeah. And, and it's easy to implement. So, you, you, and it's, and again, like the marquee business, we're delivery next day. 
we can yeah. do we can even do that so my understanding jason <coughs> obviously on a future podcast we'll go into more detail on the functionality of SotPay, but just at a, a high level for the purpose of this podcast what i see is that if you've got a business that approaches you and there's a problem they want to solve it immediately, then they can be up and running in hours. If you've got an operation that might need to integrate it into their existing CRM system, there might be a bit of development work involved. But mm-hmm. subject to cost, you know, your organisation, your team are very versatile and, and can look at scenarios where it can be integrated into different CRM systems. Yeah, for example, at Gala Tent, we have it integrated into the system. So when you create a quote or a sale, ma- mainly a quote, it'll send the quote out, but there'll be a little logo on the bottom saying pay now, sort pay, so pay by link technology. You click, the customer clicks pay, they send a, uh, a payment, then sends a message back to the CRM, creates an invoice and sends them an invoice. So automated, mm-hmm. done. So a lot of, our, a lot of the sales team at Garlatent, they'll, they'll be sending quotes and proposals out to customers all day long. They'll come in in the morning, and all of a sudden, they'll see some sales automatically processed. It's a nice start to the day for so, salespeople. Summary, Jason, before I ask you the final question. Ahead of all the other technology payment players, you created a solution for fraud-related chargebacks. You've won multiple awards and been recognized by the industry. Major players like Elevon and WorldPay and others are now partnering with you actively on a day-to-day basis, sending customers your way. What is your vision for the future of Gala Technology and SotPay? How do you expect that to work out in the months and years ahead? Good question. I think that there should be more from the... Because there's a, there's, a, there's a kind of a bit of a governing body now, the PCI DSS uh, Council. They need to make a decision, really, that data should not be read out over the uh, over the telephone. And that's it. That should be the compliance regulations. But they haven't pushed that button on that particularly yet you still can at your own risk as a merchant though it's not pci compliant and you shouldn't be doing it you can still process a transaction over the telephone but that needs to be taken off the table to completely stop fraud so i guess there are plans to further elevate the sot pay story get the message out there into more industry sectors particularly ones called moto don't they mail order transactions Mm -hmm. particularly industries that are clearly suffering the pain that you suffered still today it's getting this technology in front of people that make decisions operations directors technical directors finance directors that are feeling the pain of these fraud related chargebacks it's getting the story out to them and and helping them to understand that there is a solution out there and it's actually relatively easy for them to implement there's not only a solution out there now but there's also a huge saving so going back to the risk element and the acquirers, if, you are, if you've not got good digital payment systems in place, low risk, then your acquiring fees are high. So, for example, if you've got, we, we, all, we all can remember the times where you had your electric and your gas bill and you couldn't understand it. It's the same now with acquiring fees. You, your business will get a bill from the acquirer and it'll be all listed, all these transaction fees. And then nobody, nobody understands it. It says interchange, one, two, three, da, 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 Different da, payment charges for different yeah, types of card so, transactions. Yeah. So I would say 100% that if you were taking any payments over the telephone, any at all, you are on a high acquiring fee. So that means that you are kicking money into the grass on a daily basis. And some we've seen accounts where the save by just changing a little piece of technology in your company that you can save thousands if not hundreds of thousands of pounds a year just by implementing software 
Well, Jason, it's been a delight to talk to you today. Everything we've mentioned that we can reasonably link in the show notes, such as the awards that you've won, such as links to how to people to contact your team at Gala Technology, they're all there for people. We'll definitely be catching up with you again to hear how this story unfolds in the months ahead. Jason Mace, Managing Director of Gala Technology, thanks for your time today. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Our grateful thanks to Jason Mace, Managing Director of Gala Technology and separate company, Gala Tents, for sharing his fascinating story of innovation in the payment world. During the interview, we made reference to some of the awards that the SotPay products has won. So if you want to check out the details behind those awards, please look out for links in our show notes and they'll take you straight to the articles. Now, if you're operating an organization that might benefit from using SotPay and you'd like to speak with one of the team at Gala Technology, again, the link on how you can easily do that are in the show notes, or you can simply visit the Gala Technology website at galatechnology.co.uk and then click on the Get in Touch tab. Finally, if you're an organization with a product in the digital payments world and you'd like to share details of your product on our podcast, why not drop us a line with the details inside a simple email and that email address to contact us is media at galatechnology.co.uk. You've been listening to the Digital Payments Challenges and Solutions podcast and I've been your host, David Lilly. Thanks for tuning in and be sure to subscribe so that you can be alerted of our next episode. Thanks for listening to the Digital Payments Challenges and Solutions podcast. We exist to share best industry practices, to showcase software and product innovations, and to cast a light on the payment industry operators, small and large, who are leading the way towards better and safer payment experiences for both businesses and consumers. If you have enjoyed this episode of Digital Payments Challenges and Solutions, please be sure to subscribe and leave us a positive review, as well as thinking about who you might share this episode with to benefit them. If you have a story to tell and would like to be a future guest on our podcast, please send us a short email explaining your background and the story you'd like to tell to media at galatechnology.co.uk.